Well, good morning, Clover Hill. How are we doing? Good. It is my joy to be here. I just want to say, you guys know this, but you're blessed. You have a wonderful church, and whenever I got the call that I could come speak here again, I was like, yes, I get to go back to Clover Hill. I love being with you guys, and it's my joy to bring God's Word to you, and uh, I love your pastoral staff and getting to know Derek, and I love uh, Stan and Andrew and Barry, and I just you guys are blessed with some great leaders and great team here, and so anyways, it's a joy to be here. And I believe the Lord has given me what I would call a timely reminder. How many people know that good preaching is timely reminders, right? Um, sometimes, are, are, you, are you like me, you a little forgetful? Like, you're like, yeah, I need to be reminded of that. So I, I'm bringing one of those uh, this morning that hopefully be a good timely reminder for us. Before I do that, let me just say thank you for your generosity as a church. You guys are very significant partners on our, our ministry team, and I'm reminded of uh, the book of Philippians, where Paul writes to the church in Philippi. By the way, do you know that the book of Philippians is a newsletter, a missionary newsletter to the church in Philippi? That it's one of the, the missionary they're supporting. And, and he says this, he said, Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, you share in God's grace with me. And this year, we had a, a, a powerful year. We're getting ready, we're on the doorstep of another year. We had over 550 students in small groups. We had, uh, we baptized 36 students. We ha have alum and students all over the world this summer. We have students in, in Russia, in Turkey, in Egypt, in Spain, in Indonesia. And um, the Lord is just doing a powerful work. And you guys share in God's grace. Every bit of that you share in with me through your partnership in the gospel. And so thank you for your partnership as a church. It is significant and meaningful and fruitful by God's grace. Amen? Well, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get to the words. Does that sound good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. I pray now that you would apprehend our heart and our heads and focus them on your word. That our hearts would be stirred, that our minds would be enthralled with the glory of Jesus. And that you would do this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there is a, uh, a book that uh, came out a few years ago by an author by the name of Charles Duhiggett. The book is called the, po the Power of Habit. Why we do what we do in life and business, okay? And, it, and basically, the premise of the book is this, is that you are not fundamentally 12 new habits away of re from reaching your goals. He would propose this, that you are actually only one habit away from reaching your goals. And he would call that habit the keystone habit. If you just had this one habit in place, that it would be like the domino that would hit every other domino that would get you to where you want to go. That you're one habit away. So one habit that he uses as an example that's been proven to be what he would call a keystone habit. It has this disproportional impact on your life. One keystone habit that he, he mentions is the keystone habit of exercising. If you exercise even once a week, everybody say, only once a week, right? If you exercise even once a week, it has been pro proven by research that you'll start to, not because you're trying to, you'll start to eat better. You'll be um, more patient with your colleagues and your family. You will uh, stop using your credit cards as often. You will be under less stress. All these are are reactions to having the one discipline of exercising even only once a week. Well, what I want to talk about this morning is the keystone habit 
of the Christian life? What is the keystone habit of the Christian life? If you were to look behind the curtain of people's lives who've been tremendously influential and, and consequential in the kingdom of God, whether it be in their local church, whether it be in their workplace, whether it be in their neighborhood, in their city, or even to the ends of the earth, if you were to, to get those people and you're to talk to them about their lives and pull the curtain back on their life, you will find this keystone habit sitting right there. In fact, we just sung about how uh, the flame is never going to go down in our hearts, how, how, how we're always going to have this flame. If you find people who have a steady passion for Jesus, that they're like battery chargers. Anybody know those people? You, they're like battery chargers for your faith. If you pull back the curtain of their life and look behind the curtain, you'll find this keystone habit sitting right there. Now, um, here's the, the issue. Jesus is going to tell us about this keystone habit, but, but sometimes this keystone habit is difficult because um, this is real life. Life gets busy and hectic. Does anybody uh, ever wake up with more on their mind and more on their plate than they have time in their day? Anybody? Where you wake up with the pressures of life bearing in on you. I have three kids, and uh, let me just give you the list of what our house, um, the things that are, are, are going on in our house, on the list steadily. We have kids to get to practice. We have lunches to pack, um, homework that needs to be done, a house to clean, a yard to mow, groceries to buy, bills to pay, laundry to clean, emails to catch up on, family to call, kids to bathe, and this doesn't even count work, and this is when everything's going well. Does anybody relate to that, right? I know my wife relates to that because she takes care of a lot of that list. Okay, here is the, the reality. When things get hectic, what often is the first thing to go away should actually be what's the last thing that should go away, right? Oftentimes, in the midst of the hecticness and intensity of life, the, the first thing that goes away should really be the last thing. And Jesus is going to say, if you cut something, don't cut this. And so that's what we're going to look at today. What is this keystone habit? Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We are going to uh, be reading in verse 38 all the way to verse 42, five verses. And I'm calling this message, I got this from a title of a book that uh, I found out about years ago. Um, it's called this, Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. Okay, Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. Um, verse 38, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So Jesus is, is uh, coming through the area, and Mary and Martha lived in this town called Bethany. And so, so he's coming into Bethany, and, and so Martha opens her home to him. She asks him to come over or welcomes him for a meal. We're not exactly sure. And it says this, verse 39, She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha, on the other hand, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. How many people know that uh, Martha's a type A personality? You guys, you guys sniff that out, right? She's a type A personality. She's probably got everything on spreadsheets. She's got every, you know, like everything has to get done. She has a list. She's got to be productive. Um, I kind of pictured this. Jesus arrives at the house, and, and uh, she, she walks Jesus into the, 
to the living room. She's like, okay, Jesus, we're, we're so happy you're here. I got a lot going on. So um, here's the remote and the Wi-Fi password. Let me know if you need anything. I'm going to be in the kitchen. I've got, got some things going. And then there is, uh, there's Mary. It says that Mary, she's presumably working with Martha before Jesus arrived, but she's like, Jesus is here. Like, like this is Jesus, the, the, the one who's been doing the miracles. Like, he's here. And she drops what she's doing, and she goes, and it says she sits at the feet of Jesus. And, and Martha's like, you're not going to leave me in here to peel all the potatoes by myself, are you? Like, come on. I need some help in here. Jesus, can you tell her to get in here? And this is how Jesus replied. Verse 40, 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset with many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And so Jesus, in this moment of, of hecticness and chaos, gives, gives Martha an aha moment. He shines a, a bright spotlight right on Martha and shows her what is really needed in life. And in doing so, he does the same for us. He says, here's the keystone habit of the Christian life. Jesus says, if Whatever you do, if you have to make a trade-off, make this trade-off. And, and people won't always understand you, but you will always be wise. Make this the priority of your life. And what is it? To prioritize your time of sitting at my feet. Prioritize your communion with me. That that is what is most needed. What we're going to do is we're going to look at how the Bible describes Martha, and we're going to look at how the Bible describes Mary. And here's what I've found, and I don't know, maybe you found the same thing, but I've found that when I live like Martha, I look a lot like Martha. And when I live like Mary, I look more like Mary. And so we're just going to look at the words uh, that describe Martha, describe Mary. I'm going to give you one tip, and two stories, and we're done, okay? And so the first thing we see, is, as it describes Martha, is this, is it says that she was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was distracted. Okay, if, if you're distracted, it means this, that you are missing what is most important. It's kind of like somebody who's doing misdirection on you, like a magician is getting you to look over here when the action's really over here, right? You're missing what is most important. Martha was missing what was really most important. Here's what I found. When I don't spend sufficient time sitting at the feet of Jesus, two things happen. My attention gets distracted, and I start to be focused on a lot of other things. But not only that, and probably more sinister is this. The desires of my heart start to get distracted as well. And I, I tell the people that I disciple, I said, if you go even a week without just having some time of sitting at the feet of Jesus, you will start to desire the very same things the people in your dorm desire. If you don't have time sitting at the feet of Jesus, your desires will get distracted and they'll look like everybody else's desires in your neighborhood. I know that that is the case. Because when we don't sit at the feet of Jesus, the tyranny of life and the desires of the flesh will start to raise up. She was distracted. The second thing we learn, oh, she was distracted by all the things that had to be done. Had to be done. Okay, so 
So Martha is one of those people that she is not going to be able to rest till everything is done, right? She can't, she, she just can't sit down and enjoy something. She's, she's got all the things that have to be done. Here's what I found. There's two type of people when it comes to their time with Jesus, their personal time with Jesus. Number one is there are people who will spend time with Jesus when they've done everything else. When everything else is done, they'll spend time with Jesus. And then there's people who will spend time with Jesus before they do anything else. And Martha is in the, the former camp, right? She's, oh, after I get everything else done, then, I'll, then I'll, I'll, I'll be in there as soon as I get this done. And guess what we, what we know? If you're, if you're a Martha-type person, you know this. You never get everything done, right? You never get to the bottom of the list. And so she was distracted. Second is, it says, she says, Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you care? In, in the middle of all the things that had to be done, in the middle of the... Of the uh, the, the, the tyranny of the urgent and not sitting at the feet of Jesus, she starts to wonder if, if Jesus even cares. She starts to question the goodness and compassion and care of her, her Savior, ultimately, who will be her Savior. She, she's got the good shepherd in her living room, and she wonders if he's good. Don't you care? Here's what I know. When I don't spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus, I can start to get cynical and critical and my confidence in the goodness of God can start to subtly wane. Well, there's two other words that are used to describe Mary, I'm sorry, describe Martha, that Jesus uses. First thing he says, he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried. You're, you're worried about many things. Here's what I know. When I don't spend adequate time at the feet of Jesus, you know what, what good friend comes and, and visits me? Worry. Well, why does worry come visit me when I haven't spent adequate time with Jesus? Why does that happen? Because I forget who runs the universe. Are you with me? You ever forget who runs the universe? Do you ever forget who is with you? And when God is with you, you're always in the majority. Things are always under control. But whenever I'm not focused on that, when I take my eyes off of those realities, worry will start to creep up. And here's, here's what happens. We start to try to live life in our own weakness. When we weren't meant to live in our own weakness, we're meant to live in his strength. But our eyes move from him and onto our problems and on our, onto our insufficiencies. And in that moment, there'll be this exchange that our faith will go down and our worry will go up. Worry. And then finally, there is uh, one last descriptive word that's used. Upset. You are upset. Um, she's upset at Mary for not helping her. She's upset at Jesus for not making Mary help her. Right? She's just upset. Did, did anybody relate to this? That when you haven't had time with Jesus, that you find yourself with a little bit less cushion to absorb the hecticness and pressures of life? Or put it this way, you're a little bit edgier. Anybody a little, little bit edgier when you haven't had time with Jesus? Okay, so there have been times I just celebrated 19 years of marriage, and over my 19 years where Amy has said, uh, Pete, have you had your time with Jesus today? Right? Anybody know that there's a little difference when you've sat at the feet of Jesus and when you haven't? Like, it's like, man, he is on edge. What is his deal? He needs to go be with Jesus. Here's what I've realized. I've realized that uh, whenever I live like Martha, I look a lot like Martha. Look, 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 look at these words. Distracted. Lord, don't you care? Worried? Upset? Well, how does it describe Mary? 
It says in verse uh, 39, she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So here you get a picture of Mary, this beautiful picture of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet, this picture of her not under the tyranny of the urgent, the tyranny of her to-do list, tyranny of the pressures of life, but she's at rest in the presence of Jesus, right? She's, she, she's uh, hungry for, to hear what Jesus would have to say. Everything else can wait. We'll do that in a minute, but I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus now. It's a picture of, of her humble at the feet of Jesus, honoring Jesus, teachable at the feet. And it's a picture of, of her being intimately aware of the presence of Jesus. And it says she was listening to him. Well, let me give you the Pulet paraphrase. She wasn't listening to Martha. In other words, she wasn't listening to those who were trying to pull her away from her priority, trying to misdirect her of what really mattered in life. She was listening to Jesus, focused on him. I found that when I lived like Mary, I looked more like Mary. Why is our time with Jesus one of the first things that go when life gets hectic? Why is that? I'm just going to propose an answer. I think it's because we wonder if it's really productive. Because we, we feel the pressure to be productive. We wonder, is this really productive? And Jesus says, actually, there's only one thing that's needed. Really, only one. He doesn't say there's, there's one luxury to your life if you can find the time. He said, there's one thing that's needed, really only one, and that's to sit at my feet. He doesn't call it, 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 yeah, he doesn't call it the luxury life. He calls it a necessity in our lives, to commune with him, to, to spend time saturating with him. And so as I was preparing this message, I, I spent some time thinking about, well, what happens when you sit at the feet of Jesus? So I sat on the, on the ground in my office, and um, I crisscross applesauce isn't real natural to me, so I don't do this often, but I just sat there on the floor, and I started to write down, you know, uh, what happens when we sit at the feet of Jesus. And I just want to read some of the things that, that, of how fruitful our time sitting at the feet of Jesus can be. Here's what happens. At the feet of Jesus, we're reminded of the wonders of God's grace and the riches of his mercy. At the feet of Jesus, we're reminded of the magnitude of his glory. At the feet of Jesus, the desires of our heart that tends to drift are reoriented towards him. At the feet of Jesus, we receive vision for our lives. At the feet of Jesus, we find strength for the battle. At the feet of Jesus, the burdens start to feel lighter. At the feet of Jesus, our hopes increase. At the feet of Jesus, our souls find rest. At the feet of Jesus, we experience unconditional love. At the feet of Jesus, we tap into God's power versus living in our own weakness. At the feet of Jesus, we experience a peace that transcends all understanding. At the feet of Jesus, we recognize our dependence on him. At the feet of Jesus, we're reminded of our need for a savior. At the feet of Jesus, we find the grace to forgive. At the feet of Jesus, we receive wisdom. At the feet of Jesus, we grow in intimacy with God. We begin to love him more and know him better. At the feet of Jesus, our roots go down deep so we can persevere during hard times. At the feet of Jesus, our joy increases. At the feet of Jesus, we realize we're not alone, but we're in his very hands. At the feet of Jesus, our hearts are sensitized towards God and towards others. And at the feet of Jesus, our faith increases. That is just a sample of 
what happens when we sit at the feet of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What do you want to define you? Do you want... Do you want to sound like Mary or Martha? How about Martha? Uh, distracted? God, don't you care? Worried? Upset? Or Mary? At rest? Hungry? Humble? Honoring? Teachable? Intimate? Wise? What do you want to describe you? Hey, now, now let, let me tell you, everybody who has the keystone habit of the Christian life behind the curtain of their life, what? I'm going to tell you how that happened. Are you guys ready? If you take notes, this is a great time to take notes. Let me tell you how that happened. It, it wasn't because they, they had 26-hour days. Let me tell you how it happened. If you've got a pen, you can write this down. Here, here's how it happened. They made a choice. They, they, they didn't wake up as spiritual superheroes. They made a choice that a priority of their life, the priority of their life, would be to foster time with Jesus. Let me give you a quick tip that I think will help you if you desire to make that same choice. Let me give you, if you make this commitment, I think it'll take you a long way. Here, here you guys ready? This is very, very practical. It helps students at UVA, so maybe it'll help you. Here, here it is. Um, when you wake up in the morning... Open your Bible before you open an app. Anybody here use their phone as an alarm clock? Anybody? It's charging all night right there, right? So, so the first thing you do is you reach for your phone, right? And you turn off your alarm clock. And then what's the second thing you do? You open up the weather app because you want to know what the weather's going to be. Should I wear short sleeves, long sleeves, right? Like, and then, then what's the third thing you do? You, I wonder if anybody sent me any email while I was asleep, and then I wonder if anybody posted anything cool on Instagram or Facebook, and, and pretty soon, the time that you could have been spending on your one thing, right, the, the, the priority of your life is gone, and you're like, oh shoot, I need to get in the shower and hurry up and get to work. Anybody there? Anybody been there? If you'll simply make one decision that you would open your Bible before you open your app, it will send you a long ways in a direction of sitting at the feet of Jesus. So that's my one tip. I got more tips, but that's all I'm going to give you. Right? I think that will take you a long way. Now let me tell you two stories. As I was preparing this, I was reminded of a story of a, a woman by the name of Susanna. Um, Susanna, when she was young, uh, she lived a couple hundred years ago. When she was young, she made a commitment to, to Jesus that if she, um, that it was her desire that for every hour of entertainment, she would have an hour of sitting at the feet of Jesus. That was her commitment as a young woman. Okay. Well, uh, then she had ten kids. Like, I got three, and I, I mean, you'd be scraping up with a spatula if I had ten. You know, it's like, I don't have that grace, but apparently she, she had ten kids. And so, uh, you know what happened, right? Like, not only, not only did she have ten kids, a couple of them were special needs kids. Um, she, was, she also battled chronic illness, okay? So battling chronic illness, raising ten kids, a couple special needs kids, also had some very difficult circumstances in her marriage, are extremely poor, uh, in debt, and have trouble even feeding the family. And so what she realized is that the commitment she made as a young woman to spend at least an hour with, with Jesus for every hour of entertainment, that she had no hours of entertainment, right? Like those, those did not exist, right? Um, and 
So here's what she did. She made a decision that she was going to spend two hours, two hours, mother ten, two hours, incredible, sitting at the feet of Jesus every day. And so what she did is she had an apron that she would sit in her chair and she would pull the apron up over her head. And that was her do not disturb sign to her kids, right? So those ten kids knew when mama's got the apron over her head, you don't come, you, you don't come tattletale those moms, right? Because this is Jesus' time, and who knows what was going on the, on the other side of the apron, but on the inside of the apron, she was meeting with Jesus, right? And, and probably chaos was breaking out, but everybody survived, I think, right? Well, this praying mom who prioritized her life with Jesus in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances raised two boys that would change the world for the cause of Christ, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. This mom in the midst of poverty and hecticness and the tyranny of the urgent who said, I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus, raise some boys that shook the world. Um, a few years ago, I was, I was in a leaders meeting where I talked about how important it is as for our small group leaders to, to have a, their own walk with Jesus and, and uh, really commune with him and to spend time in his word, spend time in prayer and, and fostering their own walk with Jesus. And, and so after I talked about this, this young lady came up to me. She said, okay, Pete, so I read my Bible, but I'm not getting what you're talking about. Like, I'm not, I'm not experiencing these things that you're saying. I'm, it's not my reality. So what do you say? And I was like, uh, <clears throat> first of all, I, I said this. I said, first of all, um, just because you don't feel something doesn't mean that God's not doing something. Kind of like every, you, you know, like, you don't always see the fruit immediately. You just do it by faith, and you trust that God is doing something. Because the Bible says, be still, be still and know that I'm God, not be still and feel that I'm God, right? If you expect to feel God every time you meet with him, then you're going to be disappointed. Because sometimes the feelings will be there, sometimes they won't. So I try to reorient her expectations of what that time would be like. And then I, I, I never thought this thought before. I had this image come to my head, and I said, uh, let me ask you a question. What's the difference between when you go to a drive-thru and when you go to a nice restaurant with a white tablecloth? What's the difference of your dining experience? And she was like, uh, so I began to explain to her, okay, well, when you go to a drive-thru, what's it like? You, you, you roll down the window, and you're like, uh, yeah, I'll take a McDouble, because you're just ordering off the dollar menu here, right? Because, like, this is just something, a quick something to, to sustain you, and you're not going to spend a lot of money on it. You're like, I'll take a McDouble, and then you, you know, you drive off, and here's what's going on. You're, you're eating your McDouble, you turn up the radio, so you're listening to the music, you're thinking about where you've been, you think about where you're going, you're driving your car, you're eating all at the same time. What kind of dining experience do you have? You could get to the place you're going, and you could barely tell them what you ate, right? Like, you just know you're not hungry anymore, but you, it, you weren't savoring that McDouble. Are you following? Like, there was no savoring of every bite. And then I said, what is it like when you go to a nice white tablecloth restaurant? You know, where you walk in, and the maitre d' says, uh, yes, how many in your party? And you're like, uh, two, me and Jesus. You know, and he's like, oh, Jesus will be present. Yeah, Jesus. So he walks you to the table, right? So you go sit down at the table and you have an appetizer. Mm. Enjoy that appetizer. You just sit there and you laugh. Oh, 
rest and you relax. You look around, you're enjoying the, just being there, resting, waiting for your next course. And then, and then the filet comes out, right, that you ordered, that expensive filet mignon that's way too small for the price you're paying. You know what I'm talking about, that filet? And so you're like, I'm going to cut this up in itty-bitty bites and eat it really slow because I want to savor every bite of this filet. Mm, this is good. And then, you know what happens after you do the, eat the main course? The waiter comes. What's the waiter have in her hand? The dessert. And, and she's like, any room for desserts this evening? And then you, you look at that, and you're like, well, that looks good. So you look over at Jesus. He gives you the nod. Yeah, it's on me. So you're like, okay, uh, yeah, I think I will have dessert, right? And, you, and you're like, uh, I'll take the, uh, the, yeah, give me the chocolate with the chocolate on the chocolate. You know, like, I mean, that's, that's what, at least what my wife would order. But uh, anyway, so, so you have the, the chocolate, chocolate. And you eat that, and you get done, and you're like, whew. You're at rest, content, satisfied. That was a dining experience. Now let me ask you a question. How much money would you pay for the, for the drive-thru? You're like, under a $5 bill. If it goes over a $5 bill, you pull away with regret. You know what I'm talking about? Now, how much money would you pay for the fine dining experience? You're like, I'll pay some good money. That's worth it. So I looked at this girl talking about this. I said, now let me ask you a question. Which defines your time with Jesus more? Is it more like a drive through or is it more like a white tablecloth? Now, here's the point. Sometimes we're thankful for the drive-thru, right? We're hungry, you're on the run, and you're thankful for the drive-thru, and you eat the drive-thru with no condemnation. You're, you just, you're thankful for the drive-thru. But let me tell you, if you live off the drive-thru long enough, you'll know, right? It won't be good for your health. Here's what I read yesterday in Mark chapter 1. I read that Jesus got up early in the morning. He went off to a solitary place and sat at a white tablecloth with his heavenly father. That's what I read. In fact, it seems like the disciples are always looking for Jesus and they find him at a white tablecloth with his father. You know, sometimes we need to get away. Like, like Jesus modeled to us, go to a solitary place or put an apron over our heads and pull out the white tablecloth and feast with Jesus. In fact, Jesus said this to his church in the book of Revelation. He says this, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone will open up the door, I'll come in and sit at the white tablecloth with them and eat with them and them with me. Let me encourage you to prioritize the keystone habit of the Christian life. I want to call out the worship team, Trevor. Jesus comes up to Martha and says, Martha, Martha. Th 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 those weren't words of, of, of condemning. They weren't words of... of uh, he didn't have a Louisville slugger waiting for you. Get in here. No, no, no. These were words of invitation. He says, Martha, Martha, he's trying to reorient her. You're, you're being distracted. You're, you're being misguided. You're falling for the misdirection. If you will just, there's only one thing that's needed. If you'll just sit down and spend some time with me. 
So I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know this. I know that Jesus gives you words of invitation this morning. Invitations to intimacy, invitations to to truth, invitations to your desires being reoriented, invitations to tapping into his power, invitations to having his glory explode in your mind, invitations to the keystone habit of the Christian life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, my friend brought me, I'm not really a church guy, Pete, uh, this is my first time here. And let me just say this, this little story about the life of Jesus, this is actually a microcosm of the gospel. Because what you need to know is the gospel isn't about you trying to do a bunch of good things to impress a distant God. The gospel is this, that there is really one thing that you need, and that is Jesus. He's the one who saves you. He's the one that pays the price for your sin. He's the one that gives you new life. He's the one that brings victory. He's the one who restores. He's the one. He is the one thing that you need. Really. Only one. And then you get to live in relationship with him. stand with me this morning. We're going to, I'm going to pray, we're going to sing just a little bit before we close it out. I just want us to take a moment, and I want you to open your heart and say, Jesus, what is the next step for me in communing with you? For some, there's a time in your day that, that, that Jesus is going to bring to your mind that if you would just give him some time that point in the day it will deepen you it will increase your passion it will increase your understanding it will give you courage and boldness at work it will will steady you at home what commitment would he be drawing you to this is a moment of invitation there's anyone in here this morning that doesn't know you, I pray that you would open their hearts to the good news of Jesus. That they would repent of their sin and turn towards you and your goodness in their lives. Lord, for people who are here who who have been following you for a long time, but if they're really honest, say that they look more like Martha than like Mary, then I pray, oh God, that you would that you would deepen a conviction in their heart to, to, to create space, to sit at your feet, to saturate in your truth, and to commune in your presence. And Lord, I pray that the implications of that in their life would be profound, that they would see the vitality and fruitfulness of their life increase, the joy of their life increase. Lord, we are so thankful that the Spirit of God in us calls out Abba Father, drawing us back to intimacy with you. Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, draw us back that we would be people with merry hearts 
and of Martha in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, begin just to sing, to seal this in our hearts, can we just encourage you with this? Why don't you go ahead and pull out your phone and put your reservation in for tomorrow morning at the white tablecloth with Jesus. Sound good? <laughs>